There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, the Trans-Tasman Podcast Network by and for the climate community. My name is Mark, and today I'm bringing you something from outside the Climactic Collective. As you know, every week here on Climactic, we feature some great piece of climate-engaged podcast, whether that's a show from this collective or from beyond. And this week is something that, while not on the Climactic Collective, is something I'm personally involved with. For those of you listening from outside of Australia or who otherwise might not know, Nova is a large commercial radio network in Australia also a very large podcast publisher. And last year, a new show launched on Nova called A Positive Climate. Now, this perked my ears up straight away because Nova as a commercial company is not exactly clean and green and all that interested in the environment as an issue. But obviously they saw that there was demand for climate-engaged content. And so when Nick Zeltzer and Alex McIntosh, two young veterans of the clean energy industry, put their hands up to do a show, I'm very glad Nova jumped on the opportunity. In season one, they released 10 episodes, interviews with people with awesome startups that are engaging with climate, and talked to them not only about their businesses, but why they're ultimately hopeful for the future. And it was my great pleasure to get involved ahead of the launch of season two, which I'm very lucky to say I'm producing. So I'm very aware that as this comes out, it's Saturday, the 30th of October. Tomorrow is a very spooky day, not because it's Halloween, but because it's the start of COP26 in Glasgow. And I wanted to bring you a story that was close to home, that was hopeful, but that was also 100% climate engaged. And that is the story of an awesome company named Great Rap. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and I want to thank Alex and Nick for allowing me to share it with you today. To get more of A Positive Climate, just go to apositiveclimate.com or click the link in the show notes. Go ahead and binge season one and look forward to weekly episodes from now until just before Christmas in season two. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Positive Climate an uplifting podcast focused on the cool ways to tackle climate change. We've had a bit of a journey already in season one. We've covered cultured meats. We've covered drones that string up transmission lines. And today we're covering the plastic problem. Alex, all right, stat time. I'll, I'll do one and you do one. Okay. Did you know that 9 billion tons of plastic has been created on this earth? And it's all still here. Wow, that's pretty phenomenal. But, you know, we like visuals on this podcast. So you're going to go with football field? <laughs> So Julia in this episode talks to us and we'll we'll introduce who Julia is in a moment, but getting ahead of myself. She explains in this episode that in Australia, we use 150,000 tonnes of cling wrap 
a year. Okay. And well. to give you a visual of that and think about how light like a piece of cling wrap is, that's a lot of cling wrap. And a blue whale weighs 150 tonnes, so that's a 1,000 blue whales of cling wrap that we use every year, which is pretty gross. But to give you the better visual. Oh, there's more. <laughs> You're not done. I'm not done. Okay, okay. Because we love Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We do. I've just done some quick maths for you, Nick. Okay, in Excel. And that's actually, yeah, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some ifs, you know, whatever. Ooh. <laughs> and that's actually the equivalent of 1.2 million Dwayne the Rock Johnsons a year in cling wrap. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. And that's not just residential wrap, that's pallet wrap, that's industrial wrap. It's all the forms of cling wrap that you might use. Yeah, and that, and that was one of the epiphanies on this podcast that we did with Julia, who we'll introduce in a second. The amount of cling wrap used in the industrial space as opposed to the visible one that's with consumers is pretty staggering. Beyond the sizing of it all, we know that plastic is a huge issue. Petroleum and fossil fuels are the, one of the key ingredients in actually making it. And so what are the options in what we can do about that 9 billion tonnes of plastic that's being created? I guess we could recycle some of that, but there are challenges to that. The current methods don't work so well, uh, but there's new technologies coming out. Like there's a, a startup from Australia that's using technology from the ANU called Samsara. They just signed this capital raising with Woolworths and what they're trying to do is use enzymes to actually effectively, I'll get this wrong, but kind of like melt the plastic. It floats up in this vat and they scoop it up and then they can use it again to form new plastic. You could reuse we covered on one of the early episodes, if you remember, Alex, like Zero Co. Amazing. And what they're trying to do is actually use these forever bottles that, you okay, if you're going to buy plastic, it lasts forever. So let's use that bottle forever. So lots of people might use beeswax wrap. Yep. Beeswax wrap is good. And, and Julia on this episode we're about to introduce, she kind of covers the hierarchy of, you know, if you have to use something to wrap a product, what the hierarchy is of what you could use. But then what we cover today is the final option, which is not using plastic at all in the first place. And that's what Julia from Great Wrap is doing. Yeah, so Great Wrap have created the world's first certified compostable cling wrap. And so they look at all kinds of wrap. So residential wrap, catering wrap, pallet wrap. But essentially what they do is they're creating cling wrap and it looks just like the cling wrap that we're all used to that you would have, you know, wrapped your sandwiches in to go to school. But instead of making it from petroleum or fossil fuels, they're making it from food waste. And this means that it can then break down in compost really easily but also, even if you throw it in the bin, it can break down within about 180 days, which is far quicker than the traditional kind of method of cling wrap. Absolutely. And, and how's Great Wrap going as a business? Well, they're going great. great. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help myself. But no, so they started only in March 2020. They've launched the consumer app. They've got a catering wrap launch. They're, they're launching their pallet wrap, but they're just having phenomenal traction. Like, you know, about to build a second facility in Victoria. They're about to move to the U.S., and so it just shows that, you know, the level of demand for a product like this is just kind of flying off the shelves. And so in this episode, we cover with Julia the plastic problem in more detail, the great wrap production method and how they use food waste to create the cling wrap. And we chat with Julia about their future plans, including expanding into the US, as Nick flagged, but ultimately looking to expand into replacing all the plastic items that you see when you walk down a grocery store aisle. And so with that, let's hand over to Julia Kay from Great Wrap. Welcome, Julia. You're the co-founder of Great Wrap and you're trying to change the plastic wrap game. But maybe let's start with, you know, we're all familiar with cling wrap. We've all grown up with it, wrapping our sandwiches as we go to school. But why should we care about this and how bad is the plastic problem? Basically, all of the plastics that we use today uh, haven't really changed since the 60s. Um, so they're made from petroleum, 
which we know is obviously sort of driving climate change. Um, currently, 10% of the, the petroleum that's mined um, globally is used for plastic production. So that's, I guess, pretty devastating. The other thing that's really interesting about the plastic problem, um, it's, it's kind of a fun fact, really. So like, We love fun facts. Yeah, exactly. So we invented plastic to kind of tackle the ivory problem. So plastic began as like the saviour of the elephants uh, and the tortoise um, in the early days. But we sort of didn't understand the damage we were doing uh, with fossil fuels when we're mining for petroleum and things like that. So currently we put 150,000 tonnes of cling wrap into landfill in Australia alone. I don't even know how much cling wrap that is because it's such a light product, but it's a very big problem. And um, you just triggered in my memory. I think I'd read somewhere, like you were talking about the ivory problem, that they'd actually started doing it to create billiard balls. Yeah. Because we used to have billiard balls that were made out of ivory. I think like billiards became really popular and then there was like, there's not enough elephants for this trend. (laughs) (laughs) What do we do? Continuing on with the fun facts, I guess if we think about like the two kind of segments of plastic that you're targeting, uh, one is like residential cling wrap. And I think you had the statistic there. Is it, is it 150,000 tonnes a year, you're saying? Yeah. So that's kind of combined with industry and, and homes. But I think the average household kind of uses about four rolls a year, which if you kind of lay that flat is like the height of a 40-story building per home. Wow. And then on the industrial side... How bad is it with, you know, pallet wrap and things like that? Yeah, well, it's it's a funny one. It's really hard to measure because no one's out there going um, how much pallet wraps everyone using besides us. But we were speaking to one sort of supermarket that you guys would all know, but I shouldn't tell you who they are because that would be naughty. And they said they use easily enough to circumnavigate the world 10 times each year. So, yeah, it's a, it, the scale is inconceivable (laughs) and it seems like it's a pretty misunderstood issue which is like industrial pallet wrap or plastic wrap is just pretty much everywhere like all the products you ever find that arrive in your house end up at some point along the way in a big fat pallet and wrapped up in plastic is that right yeah totally well i mean anything that's had to get anywhere has had to come on a pallet and i mean if you imagine the back of the truck things sort of can't rattle around uh that's just not how the world works so um yeah for us with the home product it was really really important to start the conversation so um, obviously, not everyone's seen a, a distribution centre or the back of their local supermarket. So, by doing the home product, it was bringing that conversation to people about what are, what are the businesses that I'm supporting actually doing behind the you know the keep cups and the, and things like that. So, we'll get into your like method and the way you produce your sustainable cling wrap in a second, but. Like just in terms of how it works at the moment, like how does cling wrap, plastic cling wrap actually get made? So basically what happens without going into the too many specifics because I'm actually, you know. I... You're not an engineer? Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not an engineer <laughs> in my limited engineering background. So basically petroleum is mined, dug up from the ground, polymerized, which is a complicated term for turning it into a plastic bead and then that is heated up really hot and then extruded through. It's kind of like a hot glue gun for little tiny petrol beads. That's that's super helpful. Like in, in terms of though, before the technology, just starting with 
the background of how you created the business. I think we understand that you and Jordy started together, but Jordy's your partner. How did the business idea come about? It's kind of funny because Jordy and I met, and then three months later, we registered the name Great Raps. So um, <laughs> it, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. Like the ultimate commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to imagine life before Great Rap because it was so brief. <laughs> I was working in architecture and so, you know, I was spending a heap of time looking into where my timbers were coming from and how they'd been milled and their supply chain. And then they'd sort of show up on site and uh, they'd be wrapped in all of this pallet wrap. I was so frustrated because you go to all this energy and you think you're doing the right thing and then there's this sort of missing link in the supply chain. And Jordi was the same. You know, he was making wine and farming organically and making these beautiful wines that he would then send around the world but have to wrap in plastic. So it was kind of like it felt like for us we were doing all of these amazing things but there was this one thing that we couldn't change. We were just chatting about it. We were like, imagine if, like, we didn't have to do that. And that's kind of really how it started. And, yeah, that was three years ago. <laughs> Just to clarify, like in our research, deep research, we understand there might have been sort of pina colada involved. Many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually met, yeah, on the rooftop of a pub. And I think, you know, had our first business within like a week and it was like a, a dinner slash like we had a friend who'd been out and foraged a deer and had to pretend that, he had his hunting license and, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we had to sell a door, which was a bit of a, you know, it wasn't our greatest business. So <laughs> we tried a few things <laughs> before we landed on Great Rap. And I think, Julia, you started the business in March 2020, which was sort of like the peak of COVID starting. What's that journey been like since then? And, and you know, how has COVID impacted or shaped the business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because we did start with the pallet wrap and that was, you know, a direct response to the problem we were facing. Um, but then, you know, we kind of got back from our honeymoon in Byron Bay and went, oh my God, like, I think global freight is over pallet wrap might not exist anymore um <laughs> so we already had plans to bring a product to the home because we were noticing that it was hard to communicate with businesses why it was important without bringing sort of the consumer along for the journey so that kind of you know accelerated that and then um you know we were working with a contract manufacturer and we found we couldn't trace our supply chain as much as we wanted to and that's when we realized to do it properly, we probably <laughs> needed to set up our own factory. So we did that. Now we've got a, a solar-powered factory in uh, Tyab on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, we're about to open our second factory in Tullamarine at the end of the year. So we've grown pretty rapidly. So there was two of us in April and now we're sort of around 30. So been a pretty crazy journey really yeah and and um i just saw before we went to uh went to air um you just posted on linkedin about uh you got lots of jobs being hired so yeah that's our consistent plug we always do for go and find great rap careers site and apply for a job to kind of entice people to apply for those jobs just to demystify like what is the great rap product in terms of its actual technology and how is it different to the the pellet gun that we described before for the traditional plastic <laughs> Yeah, I think the main difference with our product is that rather than using petroleum as a feedstock, uh, we use food waste. So, uh, you know, food waste is a massive problem, um, as you know, I'm sure if you're here listening or you guys already know, it's a, it's a crazy emitter of methane contributing to climate crisis. So what our formula does is that it takes food waste and through a process that's uh, highly technical, it is converted into a biopolymer that we use and then 
the manufacturing process is, you know, fairly similar, but it's about those raw materials going in. So the technology that we've developed really closely with the amazing people at Monash. Currently, we're home compostable, but next year we'll be marine degradable too when we launch our biorefinery. So there's some really exciting technology there coming out of our team at the at the Great Lab. Yeah, at the Great Lab. <laughs> but and just to go into that in a bit more detail, I think one of the like uh, most fascinating themes is that you know you, Julia, you uh, were an architect. Geordie was involved in winemaking. You got this business that has some elements consistent, but not much to do with those careers. Like, how did you go about actually? creating this technology like you mentioned monash did you go hunting for for it out there to solve the problem were you involved in the creation process just kind of curious to unpack that a bit further yeah it's it's an interesting one because i think we went in with sort of extreme naivety uh and just kind of asked the questions that if if we'd been experts we probably would have been embarrassed to ask so yeah, it was like a lot of research really early on. Thankfully, Jordi has an amazing chemistry background that he picked up from wine and the fermentation process that we're looking at is like fairly similar to those concepts. Um, uh, but for myself, it was very, very much like I think the connection with architecture and um, like solving a problem is like so often in architecture, a client will come to you with this really abstract idea and you're like make this work or be a real thing um, <laughs> like I don't know what that is um, so it was a, a lot of research a lot of um, bringing the right people to the table really like you know partnering with Monash the, the chemical engineering team there have been amazing we've been working with them for two years just recently we've been able to scale enough so that we could hire our own team in-house and really um, drive that research but I think for us it's been yeah not so much about having all the answers but just knowing who to ask and who to connect and and bring them all together to solve the problem really. And how has the the product journey been like, Julia? You know, when we talked to V2 Foods, I think Nick Hazel had the story of it was version 57 that they finally convinced (laughs) Jack Cowan to to eat. You know, was there multiple versions of this cling wrap or some horror stories of the first, you know, roll that came off the the production line? Yeah, thankfully we weren't putting numbers on it because I'm sure it would be, um, you know, (laughs) more than two digits. There was a lot of trialling and, you know, actually like, through COVID, trialing via Zoom because we didn't have the technology in Australia, so we'd be FaceTiming a lab and <laughs> oh, so many stories. I, the first product we didn't make ourselves was really, really not what we wanted. You know, we went to market with it, which was great in that we learned people wanted this product, but also terrible in terms of, you know, building trust and <laughs> delivering a quality product. And, you know, it was like we'd sold out within half an hour and then all of a sudden the packages arrived on the same day and we just started to get these emails and we're like, oh my, oh, what are we doing? <laughs> Look, it's, it's all part of the journey. You know, I think if you don't go out with a product that isn't like semi-imperfect you can't really learn about what people want Mm. i mean obviously i wish it was better that first time around but no regrets we'll be back with more in just a moment after this quick break You mentioned, Julia, that like the product is compostable, but what does that mean and how long does it take to actually break down? Yes, so it means it takes 180 days to break down in your compost pile. What that means, yeah, there's a lot of confusion basically. I mean, you know, there's like the biodegradable versus compostable argument. Uh, And the way we, we sort of see it is it's like, a gradient, you know, you've got like plastic, which is really bad. Um, And then you've got 
biodegradable, which is slightly better, and then compostable, close, and then sort of marine degradables, like, you know, the, the silver bullet. So biodegradable, it's still made from petroleum, but there's an organic additive, which what it does when it's in sunlight uh, and moisture is it's, it splits up the plastic faster and that's what causes microplastics. Whereas with a compostable product, that doesn't happen. It breaks down into yeah, sort of a carbon and water. And you mentioned marine degradable. What does that mean in terms of in comparison to the compostable element? Yeah, so that means it'll break down in 30 days when it hits the ocean. I mean, obviously we don't want anything to end up in the ocean, but sadly that is the state of the world. And just clarifying, so put it in my Bakashi composter or my green bin, either if people don't have that or just are lazy and choose not to and it goes in the bin, like what happens? So conventional plastic won't break down ever. Yep. And if like Great Wrap went into landfill, it would break down in sort of one to three years. It's anaerobic degradable. So what that means is uh, an environment with no oxygen, which is like landfill. So... I mean, it's not a great outcome and obviously we don't encourage people to do that. We really are very excited about people understanding composting culture and the, and the great things that can do, but it is still better than a, a petro-based plastic. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually met with a um, startup uh, this afternoon that's involved in the plastic space and they gave me this crazy stat that there's been um, 9 billion tonnes of plastic created and it's still here. Yeah. It, it doesn't break down. Yeah. <laughs> so anything that's better than that is is got to be something that we should... Um, chase with all all our energy continuing that theme in terms of the sustainability of the whole end-to-end process it it might be energy intensive i'm trying to think about like you know you mentioned that it's solar powered have you done one of those analyses of just like the carbon impact sort of end-to-end yeah we're we're having one of those done uh or like we're working on it with the team at the moment but in terms of i guess sort of i guess our sort of ethos um with how we want to sort of expand with great rap um you know not only do we want to be uh, powered by renewables, but uh, we're sort of focusing on decentralizing manufacturing. So, you know, we want to be making Australian products with Australian waste. When we go to America at the start of next year, we'll be setting up a factory there with local waste so that we can reduce all of that sort of shipping across the world and things like that that's going on. So, you know, we're looking at our feedstocks, where things are made, what's going into them uh, all, all along the way. So, and is it challenging to, you said you start with food waste. One of the challenges in the waste to energy sector is getting access to the food waste. Like, is that been a challenge for you and where do you kind of get it from? Yes. Yeah, so, so currently we are getting our waste from the States at the moment. But, so that process happens offshore. Um, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. So when we set up the biorefinery next year, that's when we'll be using Victorian waste. It's kind of been a bit of a journey, obviously, in terms of setting up crazy biorefinery <laughs> facilities. It takes a little bit of time. But, you know, there's a surprising amount of waste that people don't know what to do with and that's sort of going to pig feed at the moment and just kind of sitting in fields, rotting away and releasing methane. Um, it's surprisingly such a big problem and so many big companies reach out to us and are just like, you know, so, so happy that you're doing this because, you know, we've got this sitting next door, like, can you use it? So, look, with the technology that we've developed, it's not sort of exclusive 
to food waste. It's kind of anything carbon-based. So we're not too worried about feedstocks there, but the waste itself hasn't been too much of a challenge. And does it have to be like a clean waste stream, Julia? Like does it have to be all potatoes or can you have like a mix of organic waste? <laughs> yeah, it's it's got to be quite consistent. Um, unfortunately, I'm sure we'll get there so we can just kind of start, start doing the uh, restaurant waste but yeah it's, it's a consistent waste stream and and that sort of helps actually with you know feeding into that um local local waste manufacturing so we're kind of looking at big producers with huge waste footprints um so it's sort of one beautiful tesla truck that we can get one day to sh- ship all of all of that waste direct to us and we're going to have lots of listeners that have got to this point and then probably the, the question on their lips will be, this sounds awesome, where can I buy it and what's out there? So can you sort of like break down from the residential product to also the industrial product, like where's it available? Yeah, like we haven't been able to sell to anyone else yet because <laughs> our website keeps selling out. So uh, it's direct from the Great Wrap website. Uh, we've got a product for home, you know, for wrapping sandwiches for the kids to take to school. We've also just freshly launched Great Wrap Catering Wrap, which is super exciting. We've been really excited to get into the hospitality scene. It's obviously uh, something very close to our heart, having <laughs> met in um, um, Fitzroy. So that's a really exciting product. And our pota- uh, mm. potato <laughs> potato wrap, pa- palette wrap, sorry, is um, coming online in December. <laughs> So many peas. Yes, so that'll be launching end of this year and then we we plan on expanding into sort of all sorts of food packaging. So anything you see on the supermarket shelf, eventually we want to be manufacturing locally from food waste. So does that mean, Julia, like expanding into like freezer bags, bin bags, you know, snap lock bags, all those kinds of things? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we're we're looking at the sort of we're looking at the stats now and trying to figure out what's the biggest problem. So yeah, obviously driven by impact. So trying to figure out which of those food packaging items is is most important to tick off first and then we'll slowly work our way through the list until we've knocked all of that petroplastic off the shelf. Yeah, amazing. And maybe this is probably a dumb question, but can you put it in the microwave? <laughs> and should you put any cling wrap in the microwave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think so because it's like, it's like polyethanol. There's all of these nasty chemicals in there if you are using um, conventional plastic. Uh, look, biopolymers have lower melting temps. So you can put it in the microwave, but honestly, for like a, a short bursts, then I'd watch it. Yeah, it's funny when we first that first trial we did, we didn't have a microwave at home at the time, so I had to uh, run some across the road to a friend and ask her to try it in her microwave. Um, <laughs> yeah, it didn't work after like two minutes, but I wouldn't quote me on that time frame. Depends on your microwave. Okay. <laughs> and continuing the theme of like the consumer-based questions, like how does the cost compare? Yeah, so currently, uh, you know, we're operating out of our pilot factory, so we're about 20% more expensive than conventional plastic. As we scale, that'll be brought down significantly. The goal is obviously to be really close to being cost cost competitive because that's when you see everyone pick it up and it's not a question of why or how or just kind of happens but again yeah part of that scale journey and sort of again making it practical you, you mentioned the um you know you've got the consumer product it's to wrap you know sandwiches for your kids at home in terms of like the hierarchy i imagine the best thing possible is to buy a great wrap and wrap it with great wrap but like there's all these other options out there right between okay we know what the worst is it's probably Boss, I shouldn't cling wrap. <laughs> generic, G- generic, generic sar- saran wrap. Yeah, um, but then there's also like you know beeswax, um, alfoil. Like, what, what's the like? 
suggested hierarchy of like the best to worst options if you have to wrap something? Oh, totally. Uh, great question. Obviously, always reusable first. Um, you know, Great Wrap was born out of a need. When we started, we were like, how could we get rid of this problem? Do we reinvent the way the palette works? And, you know, we were like, oh, could do it, design-wise, could do it. But then we realised that that would be, you know, a complete cultural shift across every distribution centre in the world. Um, and we thought maybe that's not the easiest route. So we looked into, you know, the material and, and sort of found that, you know, you've kind of got to solve that problem because the way systems are built, it's with with pallet wrap ingrained. Um, so, you know, if it's for hygiene purposes or keeping food fresh or pallet wrap, that's when great wrap comes in. But if you can use a takeaway container or, you know, a beeswax wrap for your leftovers, that's like also awesome. You know, would never discourage that. You've mentioned a lot of the innovative technology that you have, Julia, but I guess beyond great wrap, are there any other companies you're seeing in the plastic space that you just really admire and you think they're doing amazing things? Yeah, I really love Ulu. They're, they're working on uh, PHA technology as well, um, but they're making it from from seaweeds. Uh, they're based in Perth, which is also my hometown. So when we have had a chat to them in the past, you can see the beautiful beach from their office. And I, I think what they're doing is awesome. I love it. It's so exciting to, to see multiple people kind of tackling this problem in Australia. You know, it, it's so cool. Yeah, I think I admire Ulu the most. And what about overseas? I mean, Ulu is a great Australian example. Is there any kind of international ones that have caught your eye? Yeah, there's this awesome brand called Drink Cove. Um, again, it, it's a similar sort of uh, PHA, but they're doing really cool work in sort of developing manufacturing technologies with how they do things because it's a complicated process. And I really love the way they communicate their technology with their audience it's um really digestible and you know this is like the biggest issue is people not understanding what's going on uh, and i just think they do it really well and they've put a lot of energy into it and it, i love it and so then for for you um you and geordie what's next for great rap you we touched on there might be some hiring afoot uh, you got your catering product that's just been released like what what's next on like whether the product roadmap or capital raising or- yeah we're preparing to do a series a um at the moment like right now. So that's very exciting. It's our third raise in a year. So things have been growing pretty rapidly. Yeah, it's super cool. We're setting up, yeah, that second factory, which is crazy. It's like a 10,000 square meter footprint. Um, So we'll be producing 3 million tons annually of wrap from that location. Yep. Um, And then we'll be, yeah, setting up that biorefinery. So taking local waste, converting it into PHA and, and making products all locally, which is just so exciting. That's like the dream, what we've been shooting for for ages. Uh, and then we'll, yeah, move through the supermarket shelves and knock off those really painful sort of products that, you know, we haven't been able to switch out with, uh, you know, paper packaging or other alternatives. That's, yeah, that, that's that's super exciting. And what a, what a journey you're already on. It sounds like there's, you know, lots more products and traction to, to come from here. Maybe last one from me, I guess... We started this podcast for a few reasons. Like one was that we wanted to do whatever we could to address from our the role that we play um, to address the climate challenge. But the second was to take a positive lens and kind of let people like yourself inspire others to want to actually you know, join in and solve their own problems instead of there's a room for protest, but there's also room for coming up with solutions. And so sort of reflecting on your early answer where you said, yeah, you're an architect, you've got a winemaker in Geordie, but now you've got this business solving the plastic problem. Like what advice would you give to people out there that care about sustainability, they want to build their own business in the space, but they don't know 
where to start? What would you say? Definitely don't overthink it. Just kind of start doing it. You know, people are really excited about this space at the moment. They're forgiving of your mistakes. They're happy to follow your story and help you out on the journey. You know, it's obviously not going to solve itself overnight, this problem, but it won't be solved at all if no one kind of picks up sticks and starts having a go. So I think that would be my feedback. You know, like don't feel like you need to be an expert. You don't. Like you just need to try and and very quickly people start asking you about, you know, <laughs> the polymer industry and, and it happens really quick and you're like, I don't, when did I get here? I've got a factory where we make, you know, <laughs> plastic from food waste. It's it's incredible. So, yeah, just, just get in there, I'd say. And the, the last question that we ask all our guests, Julia, obviously at a positive climate, we're all about positive solutions and positive news stories. So I guess beyond great rap, is there sort of one technology or one piece of climate news you've heard recently that makes you feel really positive about the future? Being in uh, this space, I mean, probably like yourselves, you actually genuinely do begin to feel really positive because you have amazing conversations with beautiful people all day. So that obviously, number one, is fantastic. I was chatting to a founder uh, this morning he's in Paris and he's working on uh it's it's sorry guys if you're not into packaging but this is uh oh, we're, we're, we're into it yeah yeah yeah. Nerd, nerd us out on packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so he's developed this really cool technology using like ceramics and he is solving so you know how often you see like brown paper packaging but you know it's got that plastic lining yep mm. kind of looks looks sustainable but then there's like yeah this film on the inside he's developed a, a ceramic coating that acts like a plastic but has the same recyclability as an uncoated paper uh, and it completely breaks down and you know he's having all of these conversations with everyone from like you know Porsche to Nestle in Europe so it, it's just exciting to see that the rest of the world is really working towards these solutions and they're happening and they exist and the technology's there. It's just about kind of hopping on board. Um, so chatting to him was just like, I was like, oh, so, so I honestly believe that in, you know, two years from now, petroleum plastic, not a thing in packaging. So that, that's very positive news for me. Well, thank you so much, Julia, for coming on the podcast and sharing the, the journey and the story of Great Rap with us. It fills me with so much optimism and I'm sure it fills Nick as well to hear, you know, the positive innovations that you're taking and, and changing the plastic wrap game. And I can't wait for a future where we do walk down a grocery aisle and, and see all those, you know, products being taken over by a compostable wrap. So all the best to you and Geordie, and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. That was great. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for listening to another episode of A Positive Climate. Check out the show notes of this episode if you'd like to know more about today's guest. Also, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for further details. And if you want to help us out even more, feel free to give us a rating and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you know any other fantastic companies you think we should feature, feel free to send us an email at hello at apositiveclimate.com. This episode was produced by our fabulous producer, Mark Spencer from Here Media. Studio. We'll be back next week with another episode of A Positive Climate. See you then. The Climactic Collective. Collective.